Dustin Kiamen. This is the day the Lord has made. It is only fitting that we rejoice and we what? Uh, that was a little weak. This is the day the Lord has made. It is only fitting that we do what? Rejoice. And be glad. And I bring you greetings from Harvest uh, Bible Chapel, Nashville. We are a uh, church that's going to turn four in October. And uh, God has definitely been uh, teaching me a whole lot about church planning. Amen, amen. Uh, bless your pastor. Happy birthday, pastor. God bless you. Yes. Amen. Amen. Celebrate uh, what uh, God is doing in um, pastor's life and in the life of this church. I'm excited to get after God's word. If you have a Bible or a digital device, uh, open your app, click on it, meet me in Psalm 63. Yeah, new age. Nowadays, you used to hear the, the leaves turning, you know. It's getting more silent now because we got apps. But praise God, meet me in Psalm 63. I just want to uh, read to you verse 1, but we're going to cover all um, 11 verses. But I just want to uh, read this epicenter of a verse that I um, believe will set the stage for where God's going to take us uh, this morning. Praise God for our worship. Amen. amen. Praise God for the worship. Psalm 63, if you have it, say amen. amen. If you don't, say hold up. David says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I want to uh, preach a few moments on the topic when life is shaking. Father, I realize that I can't change nobody's life. Lord, I realize that we live in a world filled with a lot of chaos, and our only solution is you. Lord, I don't know the stress or struggles or strains my brothers and sisters have walked into the house of the Lord this morning with, but Lord, I do pray that you would speak to our hearts today, that you would arrest our, our minds, that you would captivate us with your word, for your word is a hammer. It's a sledgehammer. It, it speaks to the issues of the day. It, it's living and it's active. And so, Father, I pray that you would yet again speak and bless your word. In Jesus' name, and the church said. Amen. Several years ago, I had the wonderful privilege in taking part in um, something that had uh, changed the landscape of technology or video gaming, so to speak. It is the Nintendo Wii Ministry. I remember they had all the, the games on there, like tennis and bowling. You know, I'm now talking trash. I feel like I got some bowling skills. That don't reflect on a real bowling place, but in the digital world, I was somebody. I remember, you know, beating my, beating my, my wife and her friends and just talking a lot of trash, and I loved it. But then something else came on the scene. It was the Wii Fit. I remember buying the little board and syncing it up and, okay, let's see how this thing really works. And, you know, they had some challenging exercises. But one of the things that, that got me going that really challenged my competitiveness was uh, this thing called the balance game. 
you stand on this board and you're, you're there on this board and you, you're, you're looking at the TV and you're, you're, you're trying to play these balance games to really help you become more balanced in your walk and in your stance. And so these games were so fun that I became addicted to it, but it seemed like each level required more focus. When I thought that I mastered level one, I'm thinking, oh, level two couldn't be too hard, but yet it was another level. It was a new challenge because though I was standing on the board, it showed me that I was still shaky. And so each level of the games were there to improve your balance, which meant that I had to focus more. I can tell you that life is like that. Life has a way of, of us, you know, hitting the cruise button, so to speak. Things are going well in my marriage and everything is going well. Then all of a sudden, my husband or my wife makes a decision that sends the relationship going now left field somewhere. Things are going well, men, and you're providing for your families and you're working the job and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're leading your family, but you get to the job and you find that they're now downsizing the company. Your children, they're doing well in school and they're focusing well and they seem to be growing, but one of them makes a decision that just wrecks the family. What do you do when life is now knocked you off square? It's not the time to run, but it's the time to focus more. If there's anybody in Scripture that knows what it's like to uh, have life uh, shake them, it will be David. Scholars agree that the historical background of Psalm 63 is 2 Samuel chapters 15 to 19. Let me just summarize this for you. David, newsflash, was a terrible father. Yes, he loved God. Yes, he was a man after God's own heart. But he was a passive man when it came to his kids. His son Absalom couldn't stand his daddy for for his passivity and some decisions that David allowed to go under the rug a little bit. So, so Absalom is on his way to Jerusalem to kill his dad. We're talking about King David here, church. We're talking about the man that knows what it's like to run from cave to cave for 10, 12, 14 years. But his son wants him dead, wants his position, and wants to win the favor of the people so now people are praising Absalom while his daddy, King David, is six feet under. What do you do when you're at your job and you find out that your child is on, a, on their way to kill you? What do you do when you now figured out that you got fired? What do you do when you don't know if your marriage is going to make it another day? What do you do when you got too much month at the end of the money? You'll get that about 3 o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> what do you do, church? David pins these words not in his master bedroom in the palace, but he pins these words in the wilderness of Judah. He pins these words. By the way, I've been there. It's about three trees. It's hot. It's uncomfortable. It's a difficult place. 
So when we come to Psalm 63, David would have you and I know here is the thesis statement of the whole psalm. Here is the big idea, the homiletical idea, the main point that he wants to teach us this morning. Here it is. Even when life is shaky, I still will long for God. I heard you, preacher. That's a cute statement, but you're not in my shoes. I know I'm not in your shoes, but God wants you to know that you and I need to cling to at least three things that I see in this text that will help us long for God when life is shaky. The first thing is this, thirst for God. David opens up with that classic style. If you ever study David's writings in the book of Psalms, a lot of times he gives you his main thrust and everything in the first verse and everything else is the exposition of the first verse. And that's what happens here in our text. David says in the text, he says, watch, oh God, stop right there. That is the Hebrew word Elohim. It is a name that is filled with majestic power. Let me see if I can work on this. It's the name in Genesis 1, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. It is the name that, that spoke ex nihilo. Work on this. It is the name where God existed before nothing. We don't even know what nothing looks like. But we're talking about a God who spoke ex nihilo out of nothing and bam, the worlds were formed and the Bible says that he holds the universe in the span of his hand. Guess what? Michael Jordan wasn't the first to palm something. We're talking about a God. He says, oh God, but I love this. He now brings it to a possessiveness statement. He says that this God is not some theoretical God that I don't know. This God is not some God who's distant, who's far off. He says, oh, God, you are my God. I can't speak for you. I can't testify for you. But I know my God is Elohim. I know that he's provided in the midnight hour. I know he's collected my tears in a bottle. I know he's moved me through danger, seen and unseen. He's my Elohim. Is he your Elohim? He says, oh, God. You are my God. Now think about this. Now this is in the context of idolatry. He's surrounded by pagans who worship idols that can't save. Idols that can't speak. Idols that can't hear. Idols that can't touch. And he says, this living God is my God. Notice the possessive statement in our text. He says, earnestly, I seek you. Whenever you read the scripture, don't, don't run over it too quickly, church. The word seek there means to intently focus on. We all can relate to this. Um, how many of us ever left the house and you knew you were forgetting something, but by the time you got to your destination, oh, and now I realize I left something at home. I remember one time I was on my way to a meeting and, and I said, I'll never forget this. I was, I know I'm forgetting something, I'm forgetting something. I get to the meeting 20 miles away. My wallet is sitting on my desk back home. So everything stopped, drove 20 miles back. I had to get something very dear to me or else I'd rather get arrested. You see, when you seek something that you've lost, nothing else matters. 
We're going to say it again, church. When you're truly seeking something that's dear to you, nothing else matters. David says, earnestly, I seek God as if nothing else matters. He says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Translation, all of my being, all of my being. Can you say that today? All of my being thirsts for God. Can I be honest in church? My wife and I moved here, dreaming to plant a church. And I knew church planting was going to be hard, but I didn't know it was going to be this hard. And I got to be honest with you as a pastor, when we ain't have nothing, I found myself on my face a lot more. When, when, when offering was $14 one Sunday, I said, Lord, how in the world is we going to make it? When you're faced with all these needs and all this stuff, I found myself, but now that we got a nice little location, now that we got, you know, some extra dollars in the bank, now that we got, you know, we celebrated 12 people joining the church a few weeks ago, I found that I don't seek God as much as I did when I was really desperate. Yes, you heard a pastor say that. There are times in our lives where God has to shake the tree of your life to get you to see, boy, you get a little bit too comfortable. So I got to shake up some mess to get you to fall on your face before me to cry out, oh, God, you are my God. Church, we got to seek him. Seek him when everything's going well. Seek him when things are mediocre. Seeking when all hell breaks loose. But don't wait for that. Already prepare. Prepare your daily meditatively do I seek you and seek your face. David says if you want to long for God, you got to thirst for him. Don't lose the thirst. But here's where it gets real good. Not only thirst for God, but reflect on God's love for you. This is seen through verses 2 to 8, but there's three, some three sub-points I want to share with you. If I'm going to reflect on God's love for me, number one, he says, I will look. Look at verse 2 and 3. I love this. He says, so, I love this, I have looked upon you, hallelujah, in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Why, David? Because your steadfast love. It's better than life. David looks at the sanctuary and says, so I have looked, I have looked, I have looked. In the Old Testament, the temple, the sanctuary was the meeting place of God. It's the place where God marked David, where God touched David, that God moved in David's life. Parenthetically speaking, do you have a place where you meet with God? Where's your sanctuary? This is pretty funny to me, but it's powerful. My, my, my father's the greatest man I know outside of Jesus Christ. And, and this, this brother faithfully goes to Dunkin' Donuts, gets his bran muffin. He gets his coffee with two Splenda. Ugh. He sits in a corner when he's in town, and he meets with God. So much so, I was impacted by this. He wasn't trying to be seen. He just gets his bran muffin, gets his coffee, and sits in the corner. But the Muslims that worked there kept seeing the same guy show up every day to meet with God that they invited him to a Christmas party. What? <laughs> My 
my dad's church is pretty, pretty sizable church. They have these big Christian parties. This is what my dad told the church. I'm not coming to the church Christian party. I want, I, my wife and I have a conviction about evangelism. We're going to go to this Muslim Christmas party, and they've been going for the past five years. All because a man sitting down meeting with God in a sanctuary, and now people have given their lives to Christ. You never know how God will use you when you meet with him in the secret place. David says, I'm going to look. When's the last time you marveled over God's signature of your own life? When's the last time you looked at God's faithfulness in your own life? Not, not your grandmothers, not your friends, not your spouses, but you. When's the last time you paused and looked at the faithfulness of God? David says, I have looked. He says, beholding your power because your steadfast love is better than life. Let me give you two implications on this. Number one, what David is saying in so many words is God remains powerful no matter the condition. I, I need to speak this because I run far too often into defeated, head-in-the-sand Christians. Why are you walking around here defeated? Woe is me. This is how it's going to be. This is how my marriage is always going to be. Or I'm always going to deal with this particular addiction. Who told you that? We're talking about a God that raised a dead Jesus. And he can resurrect anything in your life. And so David says the hope in the text is that God remains powerful. No matter, there's nothing in your life that's beyond the power of God. And so you need to preach to yourself and not listen to yourself. That's the difference. Preach truth to yourself, but don't listen to yourself. And he says that God reigns power. The second implication is that God's continuous love is even more satisfying than life. Are you falling in love with Jesus right there in the midst of that hell? You see, he says, I will look. But church, it's going to get a little bit rough here but I'm on biblical grounds here because not only does he say I will look, he says I will praise God. Now I want you to notice some things. Look, verse 3b, he says my lips will praise you. Verse 4, I will bless you. 4b, I will lift up my hands. 5b, my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Translation, I'm not going to allow my circumstance to shut my praise. You see, I, 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 I get a little frustrated when I see Christians give more praise at a football game than God. I get a little frustrated when, I've seen it in myself, where every time I thought Coke, the waiter comes with a refill. I give them a tip, something physical demonstration of my appreciation for the service received. But for some reason, we come in church with our hands in our pocket and say it don't take all that. Did it take all that when he hung butt naked on a cross? Did it take all that when he took 39 lashes across his back? Did it take all that? Yes, it did. And how dare we have hypocrisy in our praise? David says, I'm going to do something expressive. Well, that's not my personality. I'm an introvert. I'm this. Okay, well, well here, here's the deal. Are you maxing out who God created you to be? All of us are different. But I have found that when you turn up the dial of praise, 
When you max it out, you will begin to think and then you'll thank. The more you think, you'll thank. You'll think, you'll thank. When I think about the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Why? Because God's been too good. David says, look at verse 5, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Hold on, hold on now, hold on now, hold on. That's not an isolated verse because this is in the context of praise. You see, when I'm going through and I begin to praise God, it's amazing to me how how you you can be knocked down, but when I begin to praise, have you ever begin to praise God and you felt something or someone, the Holy Spirit, within you begin to rise up and now your soul is leaping for joy. Why? Because I'm satisfied in him. That's why he says, I will praise God. Just like that fried chicken, collard greens, amen. All that will knock you out, take that nice Baptist nap, amen. Anybody ever had some food like that? Come on now, we done had some good grub. I grew up in the South, I know what I'm talking about. But he says, just like that, so it is when I praise God on a higher level, I'm satisfied in him. I will praise God. But notice also he says, I will cling to God's sustaining love. Look at verse 6. He says, when I remember you upon my bed, oh, hallelujah, and meditate on you in the watches of the night. In other words, when I intently reflect, anybody ever just laid in the bed and just started rehearsing the goodness of God? Sometimes you got to go on your spiritual DVD player and go to special features and just roll the tape. You see, that's the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is based upon one's happenings. Yeah, you got her number. You ought to be happy, brother. But joy is a supernatural ability only birthed by the Spirit. You see, the world can't give you joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's that, it's that supernatural ability to find happiness in spite of one happenings. That I can look at the culture and world around me that's falling apart, but choose joy. Because God has knocked off his throne. He's not knocked off his throne when he looks at the predicament of the state of this country. So David says, when I remember you, when I remember, I, w- I wonder what went through his mind. What, what, what did he remember? Maybe, maybe as he was tending the sheep and an uh, animal came to attack his sheep. Or maybe when he took his sling and he killed the giant. Or maybe those moments where he didn't know, am I going to be king of Israel when I'm sitting in this cave and this man Saul is after my life. He says, what when I remember. Verse 7, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, there it is again, church, I will expressive sing for joy. David can reflect upon God. Because God has demonstrated his love towards him. He says, he says in verse 8, my soul clings to you. That's a picture of a husband and wife clinging together. I remember one time that things got real hard. Um, didn't know the church was even going to be able to get launched. And I remember my, my kids, we have three daughters, pray for a brother. Amen. I had three beautiful girls and they were upstairs taking a nap. And, and my wife and I. We're, we're, we're downstairs, and I said, never forget this. I, I, I just grabbed her, and I just hugged her, and I just started crying. And I said, honey, I'm doing the best I can. 
I don't know. I don't know what's going to pan out. I don't know what God's going to do here. I don't know. And then she looked at me. She said, we're going to get through this. She said, cling to me. That's what David says. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cling to God. You're going to get through this. He says, because your right hand, that's a picture of power and authority, upholds me. Anybody ever felt carried along by God before? Uh, my, little, my, my oldest daughter, man, time flies by. She's nine. But when she was about one, I was speaking at a young adult uh, conference in Wisconsin, and my wife wanted to take a nap. And so she brings Leilani, uh, who was one at the time, to, to the room I was in. And in this room, it was maybe 30 young adults. Now picture this. A one-year-old is dropped off <laughs> in a room of 30 people she don't know. Now she could have easily ran out. But I noticed her fear, and I said, hey, Lonnie, Lonnie, come, come, come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me. She ran, starts crying. Everybody was like, oh, she's running to me, running to me, running to me. And then she jumped into my arms. I have never felt a grip like this since. She, she, she puts her nails through, it felt like through my shirt. She throws her head right in, in onto my shoulder, and she's just crying because she, she's afraid. But then she did the, the classic kid move. She didn't want daddy to put her down, so she rolled up her leg. <laughs> Both of them. I tried to say, it's going to be okay. She says, rolled up. She was in an unfamiliar place. She was in a place that she didn't know anybody, but daddy called her. Now, she could have left, but she chose with tears and all to run to daddy. She jumped in daddy's arms and she clung to him. Tears and all, she held tight. She didn't want me to put her down. And God's word for Strong Tower this morning, you got to run to daddy. Put your arms around him. Let him, let him hold you tight. Let him take out a tissue and wipe those tears and hold you in the midnight hour. Tell you through words of truth and comfort you. See, that's when you will experience God. But far too often we want to run. When God says, no, this is the time to cling. So when you reflect on God's love for you, let that compel you to run to him and cling to daddy. But church, it gets even better. Because not only do I thirst for God, reflect on God's love. Oh, this is a preaching one right here. Thirdly, I must rejoice in victory. Now, I didn't say it, so don't look at me like I'm crazy. I didn't say it, the text says it. And we're going to read this real slowly. Look at verse 9. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. Don't be too spiritual. You know what he just said. Now, typical Hebrew language uh, style of writing, they didn't want to mention names. But he's including his son right here. There's been a few times in my life, yeah, you, yeah, yes, I'm about to say it, where I've thought to myself and I've prayed even at times, Lord, send them to the depths of the earth. Oh, God, how, how dare you? How dare you say that? No, you've been ticked off too. Has there anybody ever, don't, don't, let's not lie in church. 
Has anybody ever said things or did something hurtful? And the first, praise God, God is a God of grace. That he didn't, he don't always answer my prayer. Because David says here, send my enemies to hell. David, that's why I love scripture. I love the honesty of the Psalms. But David doesn't stay there. But notice the two imageries that he gives. Uh, here's how I want you to send them to hell, God. Look at verse 10. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. Wow, this is the Bible. Yes, it is. Poured out, thrusted with the sword, killing with the sword. So much so that they would leave the soldiers on the battlefield. If you're dead or extremely wounded, they would leave you there, thus leading you to be food for jackals. You see that in verse 10, they shall be a portion for jackals. Lord, send them to hell. In fact, let them die by the sword and be left in the field to be eaten up. Even if they're alive a little bit left, let them be eaten alive by the jackals. Let them suffer. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I have found it delivering to give my enemies to God. Sometimes God will allow your enemies to be in your ear. And he's like, nope, they're going to be a tool of sanctification in your life. But there are other times where I've seen God do this. God says, nope, I'm going to pull them away. But one thing I'll encourage the church, please, let's not stay on the prayer of depths of the earth, but let's give our enemies to God. Give them to God. Because I know what it's like. The flesh is real. And you want to stay there. I get it. I understand. But notice the heart of David in verse 11. He says, but the king shall rejoice in God. Meaning that my focus now is on the Lord. I, translation, Lord, whatever you decide, I'm going to rejoice in you. And all who swear by him shall exalt. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. In other words, in those who are with me, those who are with me, yes, may they be elevated as well. May they rejoice in God. Yes, please. My pastor, my pastor, is a, uh, he pastors a church in Chicago. He told the story. The first church he pastored was in Brooklyn, and, and he was in the hood. And in, in the hood, uh, you just ain't just leave the van just sitting there. You, it was old, you know, put the fence with the barbed wires over it. <laughs> it's cold-blooded, man. Some, somebody came in the hood and stole the church van. You know, that's cold-blooded. So this is a Saturday. Pastor calls the deacon to the church. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We got to pick up the, our seniors. They, 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 they need to ride to church. You know, how are they going to get to church? And one of the deacons said, Pastor, don't worry about it. We're going to get it back. He says, now. <laughs> how are you going to get it back? Pastor, don't worry about it. We're going to get it back. He said, now you ain't going to break no laws. Here he says, Pastor, don't worry about it. We're going to get it back. Well, Sunday morning came. Pastor gets into the house of the Lord and he looks out the window. There's a van. He told the deacons, I don't want to know nothing. You see, that's how we need to handle. We need to handle our crisis that way. God says, don't worry about it. I got it. I'll give it to you. You know, worry, and I struggle with this too. I'm on this journey. Worry is a sin. 
Worry says, God, I choose to own what only you can own. And every time I own what only God can own, more gray hairs will show up, pray for me. More stress, more problems, more weight. But when I give it to God, God says, hey, cast it to me, give it to me. I promise you, I'll take care of it. His record's a billion and zero. He don't lose. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor is seed begging for bread. God specializes in hitting a bullseye with a crooked stick. He can raise a dead genius. He can do anything in your life. Stories told of a little boy going shopping with his mama. I can relate because my mama would stay in the store all day. <laughs> little boy is in the mall, well, the shopping center, really, with his mom, and she's taking her merry little time, and he's trying to endure all things for the sake of Jesus. Mama's in there about an hour where he's ready to go, and all of a sudden she says, okay, honey, let's go to the checkout line. They go to the checkout line. And they noticed that the man working at the register was about six foot six, six foot seven, very tall man. But he's just a teddy bear. He looks down at this young man who's about eight years of age, and he reaches down and pulls up a big bucket of candy and plops it on the counter. Bam. Son, have at it. The little boy looked at the man and said, no, thank you, sir. No, thank you, sir. Mom looked at him like, you, you eat candy all the time. What? Take the candy. Mom, I'm okay. No, thank you. And by this time, more people started getting in line. And so the, the man said, okay, okay. He sees, the, he sees the frustration. Okay, son. He takes his hands and he digs down deep and he gets a wealth of candy and presents it to the son and says, take it, son. The little boy looked at him and said, Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Start stuffing his pockets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mama checks out. She's a little frustrated. Her son, you know, she's like, why, why you ain't taking it the first time? You got to wait and all this. And so they're walking to the car, and she puts the groceries up in the car. She puts the son in the seat, and she gets to her part of the front by the driver's side. And she, right before she starts the car, she looks back in frustration. She says, boy, why didn't you take it the first time? The boy's smiling. Why are you smiling? <laughs> Little boy said, Mama, because his hands were bigger. <laughs> In other words, I can get more when I let him <laughs> give me than what I can get for myself. The word for this morning is, you're going through a rough season, daddy's hands is bigger. You're going through a financial stress, daddy's hands is bigger. 
Is your marriage on the rocks? Daddy's hands is bigger. Do you have too much month at the end of the money? Yeah, but daddy's hands is bigger. Is it rough right now? Yes, but daddy's hands is bigger. What's in his hands? Grace. What's in his hands? Mercy. What's in his hands? Strength. What's in his hand? Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. What's in his hands, church? It's God himself saying, I will offer myself to you if you just come to me in the midst of an off, weak, challenging life. Father, we thank you. Your hands are bigger. Forgive us for trying to manage life in our strength. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for ignoring our priority of seeking your face. None of us here is exempt, Lord. We all find ourselves in rough seasons. Maybe there's a college student here. You, you, you got some decisions to make. There's some things in your own life. You got to tell yourself, Daddy's hands is bigger. He's going to give me what I need. He's going to sustain me. And even if the tears have to hit the, hit the pages of the scriptures or have to hit the floor, go ahead and cry. Amen. Let it go. Bring it before God. But have a resolve, oh God, in, in our hearts, Lord. Help us have a resolve in our hearts that we're not going to run from you. We're going to run to you. Holy Spirit creating us a thirst. Maybe there's somebody here today and things just been kind of numb in your life. May we press through no matter how we feel. May we reflect on your love. That you loved us enough that you sent your one and only son. May we rejoice in victory. That you own the cattle on a thousand hills. You, you, you'll take care of us. Lord, we need to lean into you in these trying times. Eternity is real. People are entering into eternal separation from you by the masses. Lord, forgive us for being complacent with eternal matters. Lord, we need you to come down in our predicament. May we be like David and says, I rejoice in my God. Elohim is your name. And so is Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Sikkim. Yahweh. Lord, your presence is here. And I pray that we will leave here encouraged. We pick our heads up. We're not going to wave the flag of defeat. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He didn't quit. So by his grace and his strength, we're not going to quit. In Jesus' name. Everybody say, Daddy, your hands.